Boy, I feel badly that uh, we don't have anything for the kids tonight. So if you will indulge me, if you are a child, let's say under the age of 12, with the permission of the three teens in the youth group, uh, if you could come down to the first three rows, and I want to talk to you for just a minute. If you're 12 or under, come on forward. And I know that's a small group, so, you know, come on down. While you're coming down, I'm going to get a giant cookie. Right there, first three rows. One, two, three. You'll be there someday. All right. For those of you who are here this morning, tell me what this is. And don't say a giant cookie. Yes. A giant cookie. I kind of opened that door, didn't I? Yes, Macy. Right, it represents, now this of course is not the real rock that was in front of the tomb, but it was something like this, wasn't it? It was round and it was big and it guarded the entrance to Jesus' tomb. Can anyone tell me why that was so important? What you think? So, so that nobody could steal Jesus' body, that's right. They wanted him to stay inside that tomb, didn't they, Tyler? So it didn't stink so much, right? Okay, Grace. That's right. It it kept them from stealing the body, and they they didn't want that to happen, did they? Now, how many of you, can I ask this, how many of you have ever been to a funeral before? Anybody ever been to a funeral before? What's it like? What's a funeral like? What do you remember? Aaron? Someone has died, that's right. Is it, what kind of, what do you remember about the ones that you've been to, Zane? Go ahead. Got <laughs> censored by older sister there. Yeah. Grace. Yes, are people that are close to our hearts, aren't they? Tyler, what do you remember about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes people die for different reasons, and sometimes they get sick, and sometimes they just get very old, and that happens too. All funerals that I've ever been to are kind of sad, but the good news is that Jesus, when he was buried, he stopped us having to have sad funerals. Because if we're in Jesus and we're with Jesus, not only did Jesus come out of the tomb and was that stone rolled away, but we, if we're with Jesus, we can come out of the tomb too. Isn't that exciting? And Paul says that this is the most important thing in the world. Of everything that's in the Bible, it's the most important that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So I want you to go sit back down with your parents or whoever you came with and pay attention to the most important thing we're going to talk about tonight. And the rest of you can open back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15.
Perhaps you know the story. It's told by famous author Max Lucado of a missionary who went to Brazil. This missionary came upon a tribe of Indians. This tribe was very friendly, but having very little contact with the outside world, didn't know anything about the world around them. Their tribe was deep within the remote jungle. The problem that the missionary discovered, having made contact with this very friendly tribe, is there was a sickness that was ravaging the population. The good news is that there was a, a remedy, medicine, uh, in an infirmary just on the other end of this particular jungle. The problem, however, is between the tribe of Indians and the infirmary where the medicine was located is that there was a river. And these particular Indians were very suspicious They were very superstitious of what was in the river itself. They believed it to be haunted. They believed that if someone went into the river, uh, that they would be taken over by evil spirits. Well, the missionary had a perplexing problem. How could he get them to the hope that they desperately needed? So he first sat down and, and in his broken dialect of their language, tried to explain to them that there was hope Beyond, if they would just cross the river. That did not work. Then he led them, and he led them down to the banks of the river, and he got down beside it, and he put his hands right in there, and he, he, he splashed some water on his face, and he tried to show them there was no danger in the water. They paid very close attention, but none of them dared dip a single toe in the water. So finally... He dove straight into the water, submerged himself all the way, swam across. And as the Indians watched, he swam from one side of the river to the other. And he showed them that there was no danger, that they just needed to cross. Having watched him swim through the river and seeing him triumphantly raise his fist on the other side, they applauded and cheered And they followed him straight across the river to the hope that they so desperately needed. Now, I think that's a true story because it was in a book. But let's imagine for just a moment that all those Indians went on and got their medicine and everything worked out great until their children and their children's children kind of forgot about that missionary. He kind of forgot what he did. And then the, the Indians stopped telling them. And so they again became suspicious about that large giant river and they, they stopped believing that there was anything beyond it. That's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now this morning, of course, being Easter Sunday, we talk about resurrection, the original story. If you're in 1 Corinthians 15, though, these are not the verses we're going to be looking at. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there Paul says in verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve and then to more than 500 of the brothers at the time. And Paul boils it all down to this one thing. Tell me what matters most. And Paul says it's this. There was one who lived, who died, and who came back. And as we're going to look at tonight, we got to keep telling that story and believing it ourselves if we're going to have any hope. As we talk about unswerving faith, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. Now, on Sunday nights, of course, you should know by now, our, our series has been really all about faith. Faith of individuals, faith of groups, stories of faith, reminders and lessons about faith as we learn about them in the New Testament reading, uh, Northside 90 Days plan that we're going through as a congregation. This one I picked was from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. Now, if you're keeping track, and I know there's some of you who are, we're going a little bit backwards. This is not from this last week's reading. We've kind of gone backward a little bit, but, you know, I'm preaching, I get to pick, and seemed appropriate to talk about resurrection stuff on Easter Sunday. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 28. If you've been doing the Northside 90, uh, you'll remember this a little under a month ago was when you should have read through it, what Tyler read for us. He starts out by saying, If Christ has not been raised, then faith is futile. Verses 12, 13, and 14, if you want to read along. But if, but if it is preached Christ has been, that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. You see, I haven't ever directly been told that that was a useless sermon. Ah, maybe there are some people who have thought it. But Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, there, there is no point in doing any of this. There's no point in, in even gathering as a church. The problem at Corinth, you see, was it wasn't so much that they lacked faith in Jesus' resurrection. It was that they didn't, maybe didn't believe or perhaps didn't understand that they had a personal resurrection that was going to happen. And this was kind of due to some bad yeast working through the dough. Um, we had our Easter celebration at my aunt's house in, in Derby this afternoon and and it was Christie's job to bring the rolls, which meant that Friday and Saturday, the house was full of the kind of smells that a guy who struggles with self-control should not be smelling. You know what I'm talking about, those good yeast rolls. Oh, man. Um, and, 
And Christ warned against this kind of yeast. And what he meant by that was, he wasn't talking so much about the physical yeast, he was talking about the teaching. He said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Sadducees in particular had this little niche where they didn't believe that there was anything beyond the river. That there was no resurrection. That, that would have been the yeast working through the Jews. But, but what about the Greeks? What about the, the Gentiles? Well, they had the, just the same kind of problem. It just was named a little differently. They were influenced by the pagans. And the pagans believed in something called dualism. And dualism is this idea that everything in the physical world is evil or bad. And so any idea of a resurrection, of, of, of bringing life back to things that are physical, was repulsive. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul preaches the sermon to the Greeks, <clears throat> they responded in this way. They said specifically, we heard, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, this verse 32, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. It was a foreign idea, and even if those had heard it before, it was counterintuitive to what they had been taught. Not just from Bible-believing, so to speak, people, but from people who are pagans. <clears throat> Some ideas exist like that today. Some religions have this idea of soul sleep wherein when we die, the body basically dis dies and disintegrates, and the soul or spirit rests. Uh, materialists believe in utter extinction. Now, there's, they've been working on a doctrine of kind of a reformatting of what hell is, and they, they will teach that hell is not a real fiery burning place, but a, f a place where you go where you're just instantly annihilated. Have you ever seen something blown up? I mean, that's kind of the idea. You're just so enveloped by the wrath of God that you just disintegrate. Okay, that, that, those ideas exist even today. You can look them up on the Internet. Uh, they, they would teach that nothing human, physical, or otherwise survives death. That death ends it all. Some religions teach reincarnation, where the soul is con just continually recycled. From one thing to the next. Some believe in a doctrine of uh, something called, it's kind of best described as absorption. In which the spirit is absorbed back into the divine. And they don't even call it God. They call it a divine source, a divine mind, a divine being. But, but in all of those views, human individuality, the soul, is lost forever at death. Whatever, if anything, survives is no longer a person or an individual or any semblance of what we might know here in the physical world. Of course, we don't believe that Scripture, scripture teaches that, but this has been a struggle in their age and in our age. Paul says, if there's no resurrection, if you don't believe in your own personal resurrection, then we got a real problem here because resurrection is the cornerstone of what it means to be a Christian. It's where our ultimate hope lies. It, 
Paul goes on to say that all believers throughout all ages have believed in nothing, lived for nothing. In many cases in the first century, they died for nothing. There is no point in preaching or faith or church or fighting sin or even going to funerals if there is no resurrection. Secondly, he says, if Christ has not been raised, if his body was still in that tomb, somehow taken, somehow hidden, then we are all liars and fools. Verse 15 through 16. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but... But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. I've never really thought about this before, but our resurrection, personally, is really tied to whether or not Jesus came out of that tomb on Sunday. Because Christ was raised... Our resurrection from the dead is possible. The two resurrections, our personal resurrection and Christ's resurrection, are tied together. They stand or fall together. If you don't have one, you can't have the other. This is what Paul's saying. If there's no resurrection, it's all a sham and a lie. We have been duped. We have. We sure ought to be pitied. And of all people at 639 on a Sunday night of Easter Sunday, you should not be here if there is no resurrection. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then every person who claimed to have witnessed the risen Christ is a fraud. Every person who preached the risen Christ is a false prophet, including Paul himself. We then become fools studying a book written by liars if there is no resurrection. And indeed, Christ himself was a fraud, a charlatan, a liar. This is what he said. This is what John said, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Yeah. Look, this, this book, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty binary thing. It's either true or it's not. And Christ, you know, as C.S. Lewis famously said, If it was not true, he was a liar or a lunatic, but he was not Lord. Only if he died and came out could we call him Lord. Number three, if Christ has not been raised, then our hope is lost. Verses 17 through 19. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If Christ has not been raised, all the funerals you went to, those people are still dead. There is no hope for them or for you. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of all people to be most pitied. 
Everything that I read and study and think about, where I place my hope in the words of this book, all hinge upon those words being true. If they aren't true, if the Bible's a myth, we've wasted a lot of time and a lot of energy. I've heard people say before, well, you know, if it's not true, I mean, really, what have we lost? We lived a good life. False. You lived a lie. You followed a liar. If it's not true, you have wasted a lot of time. Acts chapter 5, verse 30. The Bible says this. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. If Christ wasn't raised, we have no justification for sin. He was delivered to our, over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, Romans 4.25 says. If he's still in that tomb or if his body somewhere still on this earth, it's a big problem. We Christians would be no off better spiritually than non-Christians. It sounds strange because essentially we think of crucifixion as this, where the saving process comes in, where the blood was shed, correct? But Paul says it's the resurrection. And lots of people were crucified. Lots of people were put on a cross. All of them still dead, save one. If it wasn't him, we've got no justification, nor do we have forgiveness. If Christ is still dead, then he cannot help us in regard to the life to come. And he cannot help us now. If he cannot grant us eternal life, he can't do anything about our earthly life. All your prayers about things that you worry about, struggle with, the scriptures say cast your anxiety to him because he cares for you, that's a lie. They're hitting the ceiling if he wasn't raised. The Christian life is a tragic joke if Jesus Christ has not been raised. And if you don't believe that you'll be raised, if you don't believe in resurrection, then Christianity, it doesn't bear much time, uh, point if we aren't believing in what is the crux of the matter. But if Christ is risen, then we will live eternally. He says, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead, the first fruits who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Whereas in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. You see, Adam's first sin brought death. But Christ's sinlessness was the only thing that could bring us life. Christ is the first fruits, Paul says. This is an interesting concept. In the Old Testament, <clears throat> before the Israelites harvested their crops, they were to bring in a sort of a sample, a first part, called the first fruits, and that was to be given as an offering. The full harvest could not be made until the first fruits were offered. So when <clears throat> the fact that Jesus is the first fruits. He died 
and he overcame death. It shows that the rest of the crop, those of us in Christ, also will face death and overcome if the resurrection is true. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul writes this, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, Romans chapter 5, verse 18, So also one righteous act, resulted in justification and life for all people. And that right there could preach a whole sermon. One righteous act. You mean there's been no... I mean, try, what Christ did was the first true and full righteous act. By God's standard, it was the first true righteous act ever done. Resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. We who are of his kingdom await his return, and so to be reunited and made fully alive. If Christ is risen, then not only will we live eternally, but death itself has been conquered. Verses uh, back in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 24 and following. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that he does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. The end will come. Now, that's good news. I'm not sure what you're going through, what you're thinking about, what you're struggling with, what you're worried over, but the end will come. I'm not sure what family problems you're having or relationship problems you're dealing with or, or sin that you're struggling with or temptations that you're wrestling with, but I can guarantee you the end will come. And that's good news if there's a resurrection. You're going to get through whatever it is you're going through, and, and it may not, you may I think that's pretty obtuse for me to say, but that's the truth. You're going to get through it. The end will come. The end of all things will come. And if there's a resurrection, there's much, much better things to come. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Think about that. We've, we've never been able to do that since all the way back in the beginning. Only Adam and Eve could make claim that they were able to dwell with God. And yet through Christ, we will be able to dwell with him again. Continuing, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things 
has passed away. You're going to get through. The end is going to come. And the good news is that there's much, much better things to come if there's a resurrection. We are convinced about the resurrection because without the resurrection, there would be no hope. But the resurrection of Christ and our personal resurrection in the future make all the difference in the world. That's why we're here. It's why you're a part of church. It's why it matters. I hope that helped you, but if it didn't, let me finish by telling one final story. In Randy Alcorn's book called In Light of Eternity, he imagines two twins still in their mother's womb having a conversation. You know, one says, there's a whole world out there, grassy meadows and snowy mountains, splashing streams and waterfalls and horses and dogs and cats and whales and uh, giraffes. There are skyscrapers and cities and a whole world out there. People just like us, only much, much bigger, playing games like football and baseball and volleyball and going to the beach. And the other twin simply responds, are you crazy? That's just wishful thinking. Everyone knows there's no life after birth. Now, that's a silly, silly story, but in many ways, similar to our story We are still waiting for much, much better things. And there's an argument about whether there's anything beyond the great river. The Bible says there is, and I believe that there is, and I believe that you do too. Because of his resurrection, we have hope. We know something better lies ahead. We long for his returning or for the day when we see him. Next week... uh, Continue our unswerving series. We're going to actually, you're going to hear from the Steve. And Steve's going to be uh, leaving to go preach at the Castle Rock Church of Christ, uh, believe in uh, near toward the end of April. And so on, he's going to be up throughout various points during the year and uh, has, uh, will be speaking uh, next three Sunday nights. So you'll, I look forward to hearing from him and hearing some of his insights into the scriptures and into faith. I hope tonight has been a blessing to you. If you are ready to put on faith, if you're ready to step in the first step into the next world, I want to invite you to come. If you have lost your hope a little bit, you need some encouragement, some prayer, if you need our elders to do something or with you, for you, we'd be glad to help in any way. Come down front. I'll meet you there as together we stand and sing.